That's probably not how I should be starting my episodes, but that's how I'm feeling today. You know, it's it's a a kind of day today. Um, good start so far, eh? Um, welcome to episode three of everyone's favorite podcast that I make. Um. PH5. Wow, we actually made it to episode 3. Are you as surprised that I am? That I didn't just completely abandon this project just as it was starting to get good? Hopefully not, because that would mean you have a less than ideal perspective of me as a person. Um, but here we are. We're on episode 3, and we've got a lot to cover today. It's exciting, isn't it? Starting to get into the groove of things. Actually got like an agenda of things I want to touch on. We've also got uh, an exciting first today. We have a special guest. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of that later, but I'm super excited to have opened the floor for discussion over a certain record that came out this past month with a dear friend of mine. We'll talk about him a little bit later, okay? You know, I just want this to be about me for a little bit first. I wanna be a little bit selfish. So on this episode of PH5, we are going to do our classic rundown of my favorite five albums of the year. The year <laughs> of the month, of March. We are going to talk about the mentions. And then I'm also going to have a discussion with my pal about a certain album that came out so that you can get someone else's perspective on this crazy music world. Music world, remember that? HMV, Music World, Sunrise Records. When I was a young kid and I didn't have any friends, uh, I pretended that the 43-year-old guy that worked at HMV was my friend, and I would go visit him after school almost every day and just like, talk to him about music. You know, getting older now, I kind of realize that, man, that poor fucking guy, like, having to deal with my loser 14-year-old ass, just like, uh, tell me about metal. Like, <laughs> that must have sucked. HMV guy, wherever you are, I'm so sorry you had to put up with that for the years that you did. So, you know what? I don't want to beat her on the bush too much today because, as I said, we got a lot going on. So, you know what? Why don't we just get right down to it? <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's do it. Wow. We're just jumping right in. So, we are going to start with the five records. Well, no. We're going to start with the three records. Here's how the structure is going to work out. I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out. So, it's probably going to change every week. But for this episode, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to talk about my numbers 5 to 3, favorite records of March. Then, we're going to have our discussion with my pal. That's going to go down. That's going to be great. 
some good rapport going on there. Then we're going to move into the mentions. Do a quick little rundown of three noteworthy, for better or for worse, records from March. And then I'm going to end the episode talking about my favorite two albums. How does that sound, you guys? Does that sound good? You don't have a say in it. So it doesn't matter if you like this particular method or structure. I'm just going to do it anyway. So let's go. PH5. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, so, number five for this week, we have Promises by Floating Points, Pharaoh Sanders, and the London Symphony Orchestra. So what this is, Floating Points is a British producer, okay? Um... His style's pretty eclectic. His albums have been pretty all over the map. Pretty much any genre of electronic music you can think of, he's had a hand in. So he composed and arranged this piece of music called Promises. And he reached out to Pharaoh Sanders, who is, to those who aren't in the know of amazing saxophone players. If you aren't, I don't know why you're listening to this. Um, Pharaoh Sanders is an 80-year-old sax player, was huge in the jazz scene in the 60s, 70s, and even the 80s. Um, He's still playing. He's still kicking. And basically, Floating Points, he arranged this piece of music And then he sent it off to the London Symphony Orchestra to actually play all the parts that he had arranged and composed himself. Um, So what you're hearing on the record is actually live music played by actual members of the Symphony Orchestra. And on top of that, he got Pharaoh Sanders to just kind of do his thing with his sax on top of all the different movements of the record. And what you end up with is this kind of stunningly meditative album-length piece of music that doesn't really fit into any one genre. Uh, You think of UK producer and you think garage beats and dubstep and whatnot. Um, that's not at all what you get with this. In fact, I don't think there's a single beat, if you will, throughout the course of the entire record. Uh, What this album actually really focuses on is melody and harmony and texture. And it's basically comprised of this one seven-note motif that repeats every nine seconds throughout the album, played by some sort of mallet bass instrument, like a xylophone or something like that. And these really interesting string arrangements on top of it. And of course, Pharaoh Sanders, just really almost delicate 
sax playing, floating on top of everything that you're hearing. And it makes for this really gorgeous, beautiful, and almost haunting at times piece of music. Silence is definitely almost as important of an instrument as any other instrument featured on this album. You're going to be listening to it and there's going to be times that you think like, damn, like is the song over? Like is the album over? And like almost minutes will go by before you're, you're actually hearing anything. And it really adds to the effect of this kind of minimal ambient, not at all busy composition that Floating Points has put together. But the true star of the show is Pharaoh Sanders playing. Um, he's a legend for a reason. And even at 80, 80, 80, he's making this stunningly emotive music that just fits the mood so well and just adds a whole other layer and dimension to the record that just a symphony orchestra by itself wouldn't be able to do. This is a great record to put on in the background while you're cooking or cleaning or, I don't know, sculpting. It's great music to just lie there and focus on completely. Maybe spark a little tingy ting and put it on. It's great for all settings. Um, not so great for listening to walking around because again, it's pretty quiet sometimes and the outside world will just disturb the silences and the quiet moments that are supposed to be really soft and introspective but instead you've got like some fucking kid screaming in your ear and horns blaring and shit so listen to this record at home okay make sure that you give it the space that it needs to really open up and take you in so that's number five, Floating Points, Pharaoh Sanders, and the London Symphony Orchestra with Promises. Mmm, quick swig of my kafifi. Truly a joke that will never get old. And we move to number four. So my number four record for March is Haram by Armand Hammer. Not Armin Hammer, Armand Hammer, okay? Don't be searching Armin Hammer Haram into your Google because you might get some really offensive images of the Prophet Muhammad uh, baking. Anyway, so, Armand Hammer is comprised of two rappers from Brooklyn, Billy Woods and Eulicid or Eulicid, I don't know how to say it, but I'm sure he won't mind. And this particular record is actually a full-length collaboration between the two of them and The Alchemist. Uh, the Alchemist, who has been basically running the underground producing game for almost two decades now, 
is actually just coming off a Grammy win. He just won a Grammy for his collaboration album with Freddie Gibbs from last year, Alfredo, which is also great. Check that out if you haven't. So it's actually pretty cool to see someone who is now a Grammy award-winning artist work with such a kind of bold and daring underground act like Arm & Hammer. Um, this is not straightforward hip-hop. This is not easy to listen to rap. This is not stuff that you're going to hear on the airwaves. Um, this is more in line with this kind of new wave of jazz rap that artists like Earl Sweatshirt and Standing on the Corner have been tinkering away with for the last few years or so. Uh, that being said, The Alchemist does bring a little bit of, I don't want to say clarity, but cohesion to the record that you haven't really been able to find on previous Armand Hammer records. He just knows what he's doing. He's so talented and gifted at creating sounds and moods for rappers to kind of glide over. And I think them working with one producer, especially someone like The Alchemist, who is known for being that one producer guy that produces a full record for a rapper or a, a group of rappers, to just really make this into a, a really whole, complete sounding record. And it's, it's probably the most accessible record that these guys have put out yet. Um, but please take that with a grain of salt because, I mean, this record, it, it just goes all over the place. Uh, the subject matter is mostly about social issues and Amon Hammer, the two guys in the group reflecting on the grievances of their lives and of their people. Gets a little bit sexy in the last song, but other than that, it's a it's it's a it's a pretty heavy listen. And the way that these guys rap and their cadences and their kind of free flowing stream of conscious raps, combined with the alchemists' kind of trippy, heady, spaced out music, leads to this being a pretty psychedelic record, and it makes me consider psychedelia as a genre and we're going to be talking about genre signifiers actually quite a bit maybe quite a bit maybe just a little bit uh this episode because well in this instance i think that when you normally think about psychedelia you know what comes to mind you've got your psychedelic rock bands and your psychedelic pop groups from, you know, the 60s and 70s and whatnot, and you have a lot of British kind of psych rock and, and psych pop bands even to this day. But I think that psych rap is really kind of coming into its own as its own genre. And just like in many ways how hip-hop has taken emo and hip-hop has taken punk and even metal in some cases and kind of bent it into its own image we're starting to see that happen with uh 
psychedelia. So this would be one of my favorite instances of this kind of coming into its own genre, which I'm calling psych rap. Amazing record. One of my favorite, if not my favorite, hip-hop release of the year so far. That's Armand Hammer and Haram at number four. Number three. At number three, we have Daemonic Wealth by Kralis. Um, Kralis is one of my favorite black metal bands that's currently going right now. They're based out of New York, and they make this really kind of bizarre, experimental type of black metal that doesn't really focus in on the typical signifiers you think of when you think of black metal, like, you know, anti-religious stances and tremolo picking and, and incessant blast beats. Uh, I mean, these guys definitely touch on a lot of those, but in a really unique way that makes a sound that's completely their own, and you wouldn't mistake Kralis for any other band. Uh, they play this kind of absurdly technical style of music where it's kind of impossible to determine what's going to happen next at any given time. Um, similar in a way to the Ad Nauseam record from last month that I talked about. They've been kind of doing that their whole career. And last year they released an album, um, Mass Cathique 6. <laughs> I probably said that wrong. Cathexis, 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 Um, that was kind of underwhelming, you know. Even the most insane technical experimental band can kind of grow stale after a while. And Mass Cathexis was their first record where I kind of felt like, okay, like I, I get it, you know, like I. I I know this is just another Kralis record, and you don't come across many instances of those with this band because they're very adept at keeping things exciting and fresh. But last year's album, I don't know, just didn't really do it for me. And not just me, I, I do believe it was their lowest overall rated album since they started releasing records um, in the beginning of the 2010s. So. Either they caught wind of the kind of mediocre reception, or they just knew it themselves, or none of those things, and they just kept plowing on as usual. Um, Daemonic Wealth is just like the complete opposite of that, in that it's very fresh and, and full of creative energy that... Uh, I haven't heard from these guys since their 2017 record, Go Be Forgotten, which is so good, and you should go listen to it. Um, so Daemonic Wealth, among many things, is very notable because of the unique recording that took place for this record. On Kralis' Bandcamp, which is the only place you can find the record, it's another one of those not on streaming records that, like I mentioned last week, 
you know, has really made me question the value of the record because I had to buy it. And do I like it more because I had to buy it and therefore more invested in it? Anyway, um, on their Bandcamp, in the description of the record, they talk about the recording and in the classic, mysterious, aloof, Crowless style. Uh, the drums were recorded, quote unquote, on a phone, um, and the vocals were recorded. Were recorded. The vocals were recorded, quote unquote, in a car by the swamp. Um, and that's basically all they really have to say about the record. So it's definitely a COVID record in every sense of the term. In that the band had these unique, potentially less than ideal circumstances for recording to deal with. Um, but instead of letting that be a hindrance, I almost feel like that gave them kind of a burst of creative energy and they, they turned it into something positive. Because this truly is one of their most unique records. Kind of an instance of limitations being anti-limitations. There's certainly a much better way to phrase that. Uh, I hope you know what I'm getting at, though. So, the record's amazing, and what it does is, as much as it definitely is a black metal record, um, you've got your blast beats, you've got your uh, harsh vocals, and your tremolo picking it's also in many ways this kind of weird trancey electronic album at the same time uh there's a few tracks um notably my my favorite track in the album uh, sapphires where instead of kind of unfolding like your typical black metal track the song almost seems to sample the drums and kind of turn them into almost a breakbeat over which these this kind of ambient arpeggiated synth lead just kind of floats up into the atmosphere and again like it sounds weird to say sampled vocals because they recorded the vocals but the vocals were chopped up in such a way that they sound processed and like a part of an electronic track. And it's 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 almost trance-inducing listening to it. And it's unlike really anything I've ever heard before. It's almost like taking the foundations of black metal and turning them into a new genre entirely. I think that we're going to be hearing a lot of quote-unquote COVID albums this year. And, um, I'm not super excited about it because I th almost feel like it's a gimmick in a way where, oh, we had to record this, blah, 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 blah. That whole narrative almost takes over from the album. So instead of focusing on actual quality music, the artists believe, oh, we can just kind of lean in on the story of the pandemic affecting this album and kind of just get away with releasing shit because of that. But this is an instance where, yes, it's definitely a COVID album, but 
they've taken the limitations, like I said, imposed upon them and just embraced them and created something very creative and, and, and stylistically unlike anything they've ever made before. It's a great record. Again, you won't be able to find it on streaming, so do go to their band camp. Um, Kralis is an incredible band to support. Uh, they've been DIY from the jump. That'll never change. They're always surprised releasing new music, and it's remarkably consistent. Again, they haven't really put out a bad album. Mask of Thesis was a little bit boring, but I wouldn't say it was bad. Um, and one last thing. Yeah, the drums were recorded on a phone. So they say, anyway. But, damn, I gotta get me that phone, because these drums, they still bang. It still pops. They still sound great, so... Damn, I mean, maybe we should all just start recording our drums on our phone. Because they're onto something. Uh, the vocals definitely sound like they were recorded in a car by the swamp. But doesn't every black metal album vocals sound like they were recorded in a car by the swamp? So who cares, right? Anyway, that's number three. Kralis with Daemonic Wealth. gonna take this time now to invite my special guest for this episode to come and chat with me about one of our favorite records that came out in March. Uh, my guest is Matthew Bancudi. He's been a friend of mine since, well, we weren't really friends in grade six. Uh, we were classmates. Um, I've since apologized for my behavior to him at that time. And we became great friends. We were roommates for a few years in Toronto. Uh, we've performed together a few times. He is an artist as well. He's been making music under the name Aero Guru for, damn, like 15 years almost? Anyway, this guy knows his shit. And a record came out by a band that he's a big fan of. So, I thought that I would go straight to the source and chat with him about the latest Youth Code record. So why don't we give him a call? I'm just kidding, I already called him and recorded the conversation earlier in the week. But let me tell you, with a little bit of studio magic, I probably could have gotten away with you thinking that this phone call just happened. Anyway, cutting to that call right now. Hello. Hey. Mr. Bancudi. How you doing? Can you hear me okay? My phone's a little, uh... I can hear you just fantastic, and I'm so glad you asked. Amazing. How's it going? Doing pretty good. Made a crawfish etouffee. Oh! Turned out real nice. However, I think I got fleeced on these crawfish. You got fleas on your crawfish? No, I got fleeced. They scammed me, I think. Well, I, I looked it up on the internet, and apparently it's like a really bad time uh, to buy crawfish because there's low supply and high demand. But I paid $30 a pound. Holy and shit. I, I was at the counter, and I have this thing where I, I, I if someone's helped me, like, pick out what I want, and then 
they ring it up and it's like way too expensive, I'm incapable of not buying it because I get, I feel really uncomfortable being like, well, actually, I know you just helped me, you know, find these crawfish for like six minutes, but I don't want them. You don't want to be a dick, yeah. Yeah, so I bought them. And I've been thinking about it, honestly, for 48 hours. <laughs> it's like, I, like, they, they're, they're, they're probably worth like $10 tops, I would think, for a pound of crawfish. I paid $33. However, it turned out really, really, really good. So, okay. at the very least, it's like, well, you know, maybe maybe it was a bad time to buy crawfish, but at least I don't like fuck up the recipe, which would have been. I gotta get that recipe for me, bro. That sounds amazing. Yeah, have you, have you had much crawfish? I know you got a lot of East Coast family. It's more a Louisiana thing, but it's, I mean, shellfish, shellfish. Oh, I'll, I'll butcher the recipe and it'll taste terrible, but, you know, that's not the point. Hey, I actually don't think it's that hard. The hardest part is when you're making it, you gotta, you gotta do, like, uh, like a, a seriously, like, dark roux. And in order to do a dark roux, you need to be constantly stirring for, like, a half hour. Are we talking and about a so uh, crawfish or a potions class? Hey... Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might want to edit it out though, because it's it's Cajun, and you, you might be accused of uh, making fun of voodoo. Oh, so good. Yeah. Just, well, yeah. Just giving you the heads up on that one. Well, <laughs> you know, no. Uh, what is it? No press is bad press, right? That's it. You get canceled before you start, and that that'll get a certain crowd to listen to you. The crowd I'm aiming for, really. Um, there you go. The, 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 the crossover between... The Morgan Whalen crowd is who I'm really trying to appease. America great, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is actually a great segue. Uh, there you go. Crawfish. And uh, the album that we're going to talk about begins with a track called... Uh, what is it? Crawl? Crawl. <laughs> Call yeah, Crawl? There, there's, a, there's a definite connection there somewhere. Uh, crawfish, I guess. Yeah. Crawfish do crawl. Do they? So, you know. I mean, they're like they're like a cross between a shrimp and a lobster. So, do you think whoever named crawfish was just like, oh, these are fish that crawl, and that like New Orleans accent made them lose the L, and and there you go. That's actually quite possible. I'm definitely getting canceled uh, for this episode. Yeah, you know. Well, you can edit with a heavy hand. Oh, I am not editing anything, so... <laughs> well, there you go. I was gonna say, I hope that you, you edited it to make me sound cool, but now that that's out the fucking window, uh... Hey, you sound cool <laughs> as is. No editing required. Yeah, I'm used to hearing my voice pitch shifted down an octave, so I have a hard time listening to anything I'm recorded on uh, by anyone who's not me. So, anyway. quick quick intro. So, I'm speaking now. I, I'll probably introduce you before... Uh, before the call is uh, expertly cut and spliced into the episode. But you know what? I want to hear it from you. Um, who are you? Who am I talking to right now? Uh, I'm Matt Bangfudi. Uh, I've got a alternative industrial project called Hero Guru that I've been doing for, what, uh, 12 years maybe? Something like 15. I was, albums, maybe close 16. to 15. I was thinking about that uh, earlier today, actually. You're a it lifer. You include, it depends if you include collaborations. Right. If you include collaborations, it's over 50. But if you don't include collaborations, and then there's the football record. Which, oh, football! That's a dope record. I remember that one. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's uh, been deleted from my discography. That's too uh, bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I don't want any potential employers, you know, 
I hear you. All the other stuff is fine, but the football yeah, record, yeah, yeah, no, they, yeah. they, they, they can't they be might, hearing that they shit. Might think I'm fucking crazy. So, the reason yeah, why, yeah. oh, we're, we're, we're doing that Utah, thing. Yeah, Utah. So, the reason why I wanted to talk to you, there's two reasons. As you mentioned, uh, you do make industrial esque music. I know it, 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 that's not the only signifier you'd use to describe it, but, you know, industrial is a big part of your musical DNA. And Youth Code, the album, uh, the artist behind the album that we're going to talk about, is uh, primarily an industrial group, and you've been a fan of theirs for how long now? Probably, probably a decade or so. Uh, not quite a decade. So I would say 2013 or 2014. They opened for Skinny Puppy when they came to Toronto, um, and so ahead of that show, I checked them out. And then Youth Code, whoever is their booking agent, has been really smart and they've instead of going on their own tours and embarking on their own tours i've seen them open for chelsea wolf i've seen them open for health i'm aware that they open for afi so they're they're just getting all these opening slots which i think has been a really uh smart way of sort of building their brand and fan base and then they get a lot of good collabs um and they've sort of achieved like some at this point i would say that they're they're pretty relevant as far as an industrial band well they're basically the only like straight up let's call it like pure industrial band that i can think of off the top of my head right now that has their level of acclaim and fame yeah i mean they're getting write-ups you know what i mean in a lot of a lot of different places especially with this last record um so let's talk about the record um before we talk about the record Right. I just wanna just wanna lay one thing out there. Let's go. When we talk about industrial music, it is an annoying genre tag. <laughs> is there any particular it, conversation with someone that's uh, coming to mind right now? And <laughs> there, there may be, but I, I also just want to say because we call them an industrial band, but technically they're not, because industrial music basically died in the seventies, and. With, with, with the d- 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 dissolving of the uh, dropping gristle and then there's post-industrial which is what most people call industrial whereas industrial records like dropping gristle etc was was considered like almost like just like noise right at times you know what i mean uh it's a bit more avant-garde whereas when we talk about post-industrial we talk about skinny puppy you know we're talking about stuff that usually has a driving beat Right, uh, I know my personal favorite industrial band is uh, Nine Inch Nails. Uh, classic, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and That's an inside joke, folks. Nine Inch yeah, Nails are not uh, industrial, and Matt they, will literally sever friendships over it. Yeah, the thing is, is that like Nine Inch Nails, it's funny because they have a lot of industrial influences, and so did at one point Marilyn Manson, who's another guy who gets called industrial a lot. And More like Marilyn Canson. Cancelled. Marilyn Cancelled. Yeah, there you go. Killing it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, yeah, they have a lot of industrial influences, but they don't really make industrial music. And 
there was like a period in the 90s where anything with a synthesizer just kind of got called industrial music right and it's really it's really messy so when we talk about youth culture basically a post-industrial band in vain closer to like yeah the skinny puppy uh industrial thrust which is separate from the throbbing gristle thing in the 70s and the later really garbage like uh call me christ thing so i just wanted to i just wanted to talk about that real quick before we keep calling this band an industrial band and then someone's like well wait a second matt so, oh yeah the uh, the thousands of listeners who love industrial will be all over me Exa- yeah exactly you have any business talking about this subject and we do it's just easier to say industrial that's all i'm saying Okay, so from now on, for the rest of the episode, if we say industrial, we actually mean post-industrial. Post-industrial. Okay? Perfect. Yeah. All right. Um, so this is my first Youth Code record, uh, and I, I liked it a lot. I got to say, it's a lot of fun. Um, I like the two vocalists that they have, because this was a collaboration with uh, a guy named King Yosef. I never heard of this guy before. I know even less about him than Youth Code. Yeah, he wasn't even on... I think people with their fingers on the pulse hadn't heard of him. He had like 3,000 Instagram followers when the album was announced. No idea who he was. I listened to his record after, though. So what do you think of this new one? The new record, by the way, it's called... um, Actually, let's talk about the title for a second. I think the title is pretty jokes. Uh, what is it? A skeleton key in the doors of depression? <laughs> that's on the nose. <laughs> yeah, that's a it's, a... it's a title. It's a title. You know, their last album is called Commitment Complication, which is also kind of like a, a title. They're, they're very weighty, wordy titles, which is funny because the song titles don't really have that same thing going on. They don't, no. Nor, and, and the band Youth Code, like, the name is pretty, like, succinct. Yeah, it's two so syllables. Youth Code. Yeah. And lyrically, also, I would say that they, they tend to be more succinct. So, you know okay, I mean? how does this record compare to their their last few records? I can, I can tell right away that even though I haven't really heard the last few, this feels like it's probably their most accessible and hooky release. What do you think about that? Uh, so there's definitely this implementation of the big chorus. Yeah. Which was largely absent, not totally absent. Uh, Dust of Fallen Rome, the songs in their catalog that kind of do it. But like here it's, I think almost every song has a big chorus with singing vocals, which are pretty, pretty new. Um, so the singing's a newer thing for these guys. Yeah, it's still, at least it wasn't a, uh, you know what I mean? It, it, it was not a, a, it was not a staple and it definitely wasn't showing up in the way it shows up here, which is literally like, as once uh, again the big chorus, right? Um, I don't know how many times I got to say that. Well, but we really want to hammer it home, it, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it, you know what I mean? Like in, on Burner, for example, the lead single, like it kicks in and it's really yeah, it's hooky and it's catchy and it works really well. I love it. I, I, you know, sometimes I know that more intense bands forays into being, you know, catchy can be kind of cringy and weird, but I think they mostly pull it off here. I, I think uh, I think she's got a great voice for it. She's got a sick voice, um, and lyrically, 
it's not like she's saying embarrassing shit while she sings, which really For helps. sure. You know what I mean? It's mostly, you know, punchy, art, you know, kind of like their, their, their lyrics are. Um, so that helps, too, because it doesn't feel like a, a, a grab. You know what I mean? A, Absolutely. A calculated attempt at feeling more mainstream. In fact, in fact this record probably has a lot of turns in the other direction anyway, um, instrumentally, which we'll get to in a second. But there are times where it does not work. Okay. Um, and I would say, I would say Here we the go. world stage is uh, a misfire. Okay, this is, <laughs> we've talked about, this is where I have to disagree. I love that song. I think it fucking bangs. Uh, I think it's the worst song. I don't get it. I think it's mixed like really poorly. And so it kind of hurts my ears. Okay. Listen to, and the rest of the record's mixed really well. So it kind of sticks out. Like there's just like a lot of like, like, high-end shit happening. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know where you're coming and from. it comes off as sort of shrill, the, uh, the, the, that synthesizer. And then, the, like, the, the, the vocals are whatever, they're there. Um, but they're, it's, it's a little, uh, grating to listen to. But specifically the, the big chorus, TM. Uh, you know, I, I think it doesn't get pulled off well there because it doesn't feel big. I think the whole song just feels kind of messy. Okay. Uh, it's an interesting take because, I mean, I hear it and I'm like, yo, this song, like, early 2000s would have been a hit on, like, 102.1 The Edge, you know? Like, I think they, they really achieved that potential. I mean, obviously it's not going to happen, but, like, in, in an alternate universe... Like, I could hear this song being played on, like, some heavier radio stations. Maybe that's why I don't like it. Very possible. Just, I never listen to The Edge, right? So, maybe... No, you were listening to Chum that. FM, right? Oh, big, uh, I, I was a big fan of, uh... Marilyn CHFI. Dennis? <laughs> CHFI. Right. You know, uh, the Titan in my braces. <laughs> you know... <laughs> That Shakira song is playing. Oh, banger! Also, yeah. But okay, yeah, so, so so we so, we so, disagree so, on that. Uh, That's fine. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think ultimately, yeah, I didn't I didn't listen to the edge. I didn't listen to it. So maybe I just don't like what they're going for. And so because it's it, it is it's not only radically different from the album, I feel, but it's it's also radically different from their prior work. So for me, it's maybe just not something I'm like into so for me it's like what the fuck is this for sure whereas i have like a fresh set of ears right something i don't like you know so yep and so i'm willing to give them that and honestly one bad song on a record is not uh it's not i think it's kind of mean to only talk about the one bad song when there's literally yeah several good songs on here that intro track uh really dope earlier really dope the the crawfish Um, song yeah 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 um when it comes back in and they're trading their screaming vocals. Oh, yo, their interplay is so cool on this record. I hope that they continue to make music together because, like, he just fits so well. Like, it almost feels like he's a part of the band at this point. Yeah, uh, I really... Uh, I'd like another collaboration record, but I, I would like them to put out another Youth Code record first. Because there's things that are different here. There's more of a metal influence here um, in the instrumentation, which I 
um, you know, you can tell almost right away. Yeah. Like, there's like guitar sounds. You know what I mean? They and, even have the uh, High on Fire guy, Matt Pike. I, I'm assuming yeah, he just contributes the guitar fire. solo, but I think that's a good signifier of how they kind of lean more towards metal with this one. Yeah, which is cool because you don't want to do the same thing over and over again, especially, well, you, know, you just don't want to be samey. Yeah. And so it, it's like the, the, the experimentation is awesome. And I do think that his, his, his voice does fit well into this record, but she's able to carry a record by herself too. And I, I do like when she carries a record also. And as you said, this was your first youth code record. And I do think you should go back and listen to the conversations or, uh, you know, at least a, a couple like key, key tracks from, from that album. Um, and and kind of get a better sense of it. Though that's not to downplay this collaboration because this collaboration is very very good. Matt, I I don't want to keep you for too much longer. You are you're a a, a working man. You're a father um, to sure. a beautiful child, Laszlo, who I haven't met yet. That's my godson, by the way, folks. Um, uh, COVID fucking covid so i just want to end with uh one last thing okay we don't really well i mean i don't want to say we don't do ratings on this show because this is the third episode so who the fuck knows <laughs> what's gonna happen but youth code skeleton key in the doors of depression out of 10 what are you giving it that's a lot of pressure coming on the spot like that yeah and uh, your rating is the only one that matters so yeah apparently well, I'm going to give it, on a whole, probably an 8.2. 8.2, nice. There's room There's room for improvement. I think that they have a truly classic album in them, and they have not made that album yet. I've seen them live, as I said, three times. It is the best live show going right now, and if they're coming, don't even listen to their stuff. Just go see them. And it is a really, really strong performance. Uh, they have a lot of great songs in their back catalog. Um, I, I would recommend Phil checking out Commitment Complications, like I said. Uh, specifically, um, Shift of Dismay is a song I think you'd really like. Um, but yeah, it's a bit more like industrial, and then there's like a bit of like a punk edge to it. It's, it's good stuff, man. And uh, yeah, I, I really look forward to see what they come up next. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, when they come to town next, you and I, we're going. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be in town, but I'll come to town for it. What a guy. Yeah. Matt, thank you so much for joining. Um, you are, oh, I, I should have mentioned this, you were the first ever guest. So um, thank you, you for, uh, I really don't want to say popping my guest cherry, because I like to think oh. I'm, I'm above such crude and profane references but you popped my guest cherry so thank you for there doing you that go. this is bringing back memories of an awful dream i had <laughs> awful <laughs> all right man awful. thanks so much for calling in and um <laughs> we'll chat soon okay what a guy god love him do wish i get to see him soon um this pandemic sucks as we all know Sucks so much that I started recording a freaking podcast. I mean, could things get any more desperate? Anyway, 
We're gonna move along and start on the mentions for this month's episode. And check this out. I even went and recorded a little, uh, we'll call it a cue for the mentions. So why don't we play that right about now? These are the mentions. Wow, that is terribly out of tune. Um, I'm gonna have to re-record that. Maybe. Probably not. So, the mentions for this month. Let's start off with the honorable mention. Let's work, you know, when we do the five, we go from five to one. For this, we're gonna kind of work backwards, you know? Um, so we're gonna start with the honorable mention for this month, which is the eponymous, <laughs> love that word, self-titled album from Really From. Really From is a jazz emo band. And I wanna make two points here really quickly. First of all, you're gonna listen to this record and for the first six, seven minutes of the record, you're gonna be like, what the hell was Phil talking about emo? This is just jazz, man. Uh, it's not, just keep listening and you'll change your mind shortly. Trust me, it is an emo record. Secondly, um, I said jazz emo. Why didn't I say emo jazz? Ooh, good question. So this is just an opinion thing as far as I know, but if I were to have called this emo jazz, I'd be talking to something that was purely rooted in jazz, but maybe had some sprinkling of emo in it, you know, just like sad jazz music. And this is most assuredly not straight up jazz. Again, first few minutes of the record, you'd be like, oh yeah, it is, but it's not. Okay, keep listening, you'll see what I mean. It's a jazz emo record. So it is inherently an emo album that uses jazz to kind of make the sound unique and uh, makes a band who they are. It's a great album. It's a lot of fun. Um, it didn't quite crack my five because it was a really strong month, actually March, particularly the last week of March. There were like 400 releases that were all amazing. Uh, I also think that the band just hasn't quite nailed their songwriting yet. It's a good record to listen to. Um, the instrumentation and arrangements all sound fantastic and they've got their sound developed for sure but the songs just aren't quite there yet. So I'm sure the next time we hear from these guys, they're gonna be making something that's just a hit. But for now, it's just pretty good. Not that there's anything wrong with pretty good, except for the fact that it's not gonna make it into my five. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the honorable mention is really from by really from which is jazz emo not emo jazz 
Dimension for this month is the record Dream Weapon by Genghis Tron. So, why the mention, Phil? Genghis Tron, over a decade ago, were what was known as a cyber grind band, which basically means they were a grindcore band, so super heavy, etc., etc., um, that incorporated a lot of electronic elements into their sound. Elements like, you know, like, like keyboards and synths and drum machines and whatnot, but they were still ostensibly a hardcore band. Um, so they're back after like, like 12 years of inactivity or something like that. And it's funny because they're basically not Gangatron anymore. I think only two members of the original band still remain. The vocalist has changed, uh, they added a real drummer, and they sound completely different. So it's almost like these guys just wanted to kind of use the notoriety of the old Genghis Tron name to get some attention from media outlets with this new record. Because it sounds nothing like the old stuff and it, it hardly even contains the same band as the old records. Now that being said, this new record is very cool. Uh, it's called Dream Weapon. Don't know if I mentioned that yet. And it reminds me a lot of the Hum record that came out last year, which is actually another notable example of a band coming back after a significant time off with a kind of completely new and fresh sound. Um, the Genghis Tron record has that kind of like sludgy you know, kind of shoegaze, upbeat shoegaze feel to it, but it also incorporates a lot of trancey stuff and lots of synth arpeggios, and it's a really kind of hypnotic record. It all kind of flows together. There's, there's really only maybe four or five actual songs on it. A lot of um, kind of instrumental interludes and whatnot. Um, it's a cool record, it's great, I wouldn't say it's amazing, but I just wanted to kind of bring it up as a notable release, because I just found it really interesting that this band came back after, again, 12 years or so, with the same name, but almost completely different personnel and a completely different sound. Um, interesting approach. Maybe in, you know, 15 years from now. I'll come back and I'll start making polka. Thank you, Genghis Tron, for the inspiration. And then lastly, we have the dishonorable mention. Naughty, naughty. Um, and the dishonorable mention for this month goes to Tomahawk with Tonic Immobility. So, um, Tomahawk fronted by Mike Patton, one of his four zillion projects. Uh, Mike Patton used to be God to me, and that is not an exaggeration. When I was a teenager, uh, I basically became the person who I am today 
because of patent records. Mr. Bungle, Faith No More, Phantomaz, Tomahawk, all just extremely important and integral to my musical DNA that I have today. Uh, and I truly believe that his output for a solid two decades there was among the most brilliant and unique music ever released. But as to be expected, my dude has kind of fallen off a little bit in his old age. What's he been up to recently? He put out that Phantomaz reunion record. Not Phantomaz, Faith No More reunion record a few years ago, which kind of sucked. Um, Mr. Bungle, who was for the longest time my all-time favorite band, uh, put out a record last year, which is basically just a re-recording of their original demo, and I think it's telling where my opinion and, and thoughts on Patton have kind of fallen by the wayward side so harshly, because Mr. Bungle, a band that I would have literally slit my throat for a new album or opportunity to see live when I was a teenager, I haven't even bothered listening to the album yet because I just know that Mike Patton's recent trajectory hasn't been amazing um, and I'm just not really interested in listening to a full album of like thrash songs that these guys wrote when they were 16. And the newest Tomahawk record is kind of no exception. Tomahawk was actually my first introduction to Mike Patton. Um, my friend Will saw the album at HMV. See, here we go again. HMV's an unexpected theme of today's episode. He saw the album cover and he thought it looked cool and he bought it and he shared it with me and that kind of was how it all began. Um, and the thing is, this album just sucks. Um, everything that made Tomahawk a unique, interesting band has just kind of been washed away. And it certainly sounds like a Tomahawk record. It has all, everything you expect to hear from a Tomahawk record, what with John Stanier's almost militaristic drums, um, Trevor Dunn's uh, groovy, adventurous bass lines, uh, Dwayne Dennison's really spindly guitar and, and, and Patton's signature vocals but it just seems kind of lifeless. Um, Patton does this weird sing talk throughout most of the album, which results in basically no hooks. Um, all the songs kind of sound the same and, and none of them are unique or interesting. Patton doesn't even really sing until the last song on the album. And I don't know, I mean, I did a re-listen to all of their other records after listening to this and they all just had such a unique air of mystery and suspense to them and they were all really cool in their old way but this has none of them and you look at the the album cover and it seems oddly reflective of the music itself because it's this bland just kind of grayscale image of some beach and the name of the band and the record in white on top you can barely even see it it's just extremely nondescript 
And it makes me think back to how my whole patent journey began. Um, with Will seeing the album cover of the first Tomahawk record and being so intrigued by it that he picked it up and bought it and kind of started that whole journey. If I saw this record today, I wouldn't even give it a second look. And I would be right in doing so because the music is just as boring as the album cover is. So my dishonorable mention for March is Tomahawk with Tonic Immobility. These are the mentions. Wow, that really is, it just sucks. That's a bad harmony. Um, kind of funny though. I'm not changing it. So, let's finish off today's episode with what you've all been waiting for. The top two records of March, according to, you know, me. So, first of all, number two record is Serpent With Feet, album called Deacon. So Serpent With Feet is kind of a, we'll call him an R&B auteur. He produces all of his own music, sings all of his own songs and whatnot. He's been around for a few years now, uh, released an EP and his debut album back in 2018. And he had a lot in common with, uh, how would I even describe this? Kind of like a, a darker, more experimental The Weeknd or, or, or James Blake or Frank Ocean. So definitely R&B music with some soul and touched in, um, but with a really kind of dark um, underground approach to it. The kind of music that would get the attention of the likes of Bjork and Arca and people like that. This album could not be any different than that particular style. You see the album cover before you even listen to it and you kind of have an idea that this is not going to be your typical Serpent with Feet record. Uh, the album cover is him dressed in all white, embracing another man also dressed in all white against this kind of beachy, really just beautiful background. And you can't help but notice how just bright everything looks. And the music sounds exactly like that. Um, the music on this record, not only is it drastically brighter and just lighter and happier than any of the music that he's made before. But it's also just some of the outright happiest, most content music that I've ever heard. Um, every song just sounds like a beam of light breaking through the clouds. Um, everything is very tender and soft and, and warm. And the whole album just gives you this giant hug and it doesn't let you go until it's over. Again, entirely self-produced. Uh, what he does here is he he's made these beautiful songs about queer love, queer black love. Um, every song is kind of about an, another black man that he's had a relationship with in his life. But he's 
brought in a lot of kind of his gospel influences because he was a gospel singer as a kid. And he's framed it in such a way that he makes black queer love sound almost holy, like a religious experience. And you can kind of see that um, reflected in the album title, Deacon. And it's it's it sounds like going to church if church was cool and and fun and gay um the songs are all extremely catchy and again every single song is happy every single song is about the joy of love and the joy of connecting with other people and and being content at a stage in your life where you finally realize hey you know what things aren't so bad I'm happy and and just kind of realizing that you're happy and coming to terms with it and again it's it's not only it's kind of a shock to hear it coming from someone who typically made such dark music but just in general I mean it's been such a dark year such a dark period of time that it's almost very bold of him to make something so joyous and uplifting and I think we all really need that right now and that's why this record connects with me um I'm not black or gay but there's so much happiness and positivity contained in here that it's almost like medicine to listen to you just feel good and I just want to take a second to talk about uh, the lead single for the album called same size shoe um slowly developing into one of if not my favorite song of the year so far i genuinely believe this song would be a massive hit if he had decided to you know give it to beyonce or rihanna and obviously change around the lyrics a little bit but just the um the structure of the song and, and the hook and the funny quirky bridge of him kind of mimicking trumpet noises is is it's just so good he just nails it and it sounds like something that you'd want to hear on the radio maybe not something that you would hear on the radio but something that you'd want to hear on the radio and the chorus of the song goes like this he says um me and my boo got the same size shoe boy you got my trust because i'm like you and I just think that is the most adorable depiction of queer love that I think I've ever heard. It's it's beautiful stuff. And um, again, you don't have to be what he is in order to feel the contentment that this album resonates. So highly recommended if you just need to pick me up. Uh, it's like a... It's like a musical bowl of chicken soup. So that's number two, Serpent with Feet. And the album is called Deacon. So the last record we're going to talk about today, we talked about a lot. This will be our ninth record. What? If you're still listening, thank you. I know this episode went a bit long, but... You know, it's Easter weekend. 
you got nothing else to do, throw this on while you have dinner with your parents. So the number one record for this month is by, ready for this, Pupil Slicer. That's right. I'll say it again in case you didn't hear me the first time. The band is called Pupil Slicer. Like those things in your eyes? Yeah. Like slicing those. And the album is called Mirrors. So I listened to a lot of hardcore in March. Um, not even entirely by choice. The first few weeks of March, it seemed like the only good music being released was hardcore. So I listened to lots of albums by um, bands like God's Hate, Enforced, Third Face, um, which were all great, but after a while I just began noticing that a lot of these hardcore records, even if they have some stylistic deviation, they all kind of sounded the same. Which again, is that's not a knock on hardcore. I mean, that's kind of why you're listening to it, right? It's because you know what you're getting. Um, but then came along this record by Pupil Slicer, who is uh, a band out of UK, a three-piece out of UK. And... This is their debut record, and that being said, it's their debut, but it easily sounds like the most fully formed sound of any of the hardcore records that I listened to this month. Um, it's long for a hardcore record, clocking in at over 40 minutes, whereas the average album length that I listened to for hardcore was about 25 minutes or so. But it doesn't sound long, and I think that's an incredibly impressive feat when you consider the fact of how kind of antagonizing and difficult of a listen hardcore can be. Um, Pupil Slicer is, to be a little bit more specific, a mathcore band, uh, and you hear that in their incredibly complex time structures and uh, the really intricate playing which you need a few times to listen through to actually kind of pick out just how chaotic and insane everything you're hearing is. Um, but they do it with enough confidence and with enough uh, savvy, we'll say, of accessibility and song structure that it's really easy to listen to. Um, I mean, if you're me, of course, I played this song for a few classmates of mine this week and uh, they they weren't a fan. We'll, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. But I think it's um, some of the most unique and uh, best, most compelling hardcore, specifically mathcore, that I've listened to in a long time. It really reminds me of, let's say, like a record that would have existed between the Dillinger Escape Plan's Calculating Infinity, where with their debut, it was just kind of chaotic insanity. And uh, their second record, Miss Machine, where they started to incorporate some different influences like um, industrial and alternative metal into their sound um, to kind of make it more accessible and open it up to more audiences. This kind of feels like a record in between that because it's it's still crazy and, 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 and chaotic and 
really intricate. Um, but especially in the latter half of the album, they start to open up their sound a lot more, um, incorporating, you know, more power chords and uh, actual arrangements that kind of sound like alternative metal and sound like if they had wanted to, they could have put some catchy, clean vocals on top of it. So that's something I think we're going to see down the line from this band. I think their next record um, is going to be massive and will have a lot more hooks and kind of accessible material, uh, kind of in the vein of like a, a, a Code Orange or something like that. But for now, I think we just need to revel in the fact that this debut by this band is so fully formed and realized that it sounds like they've been together and releasing music for years. Um, and just like how old fans of the Dillinger Escape Plan will always look back at Calculating Infinity with a little bit of fondness, we'll be doing the same for this for this uh, particular album down the line. So let's call it a future classic in Mathcore. That's Mirrors by Pupil Slicer. And that just about does it for today. It's been a long one, so thank you so much for sticking through, but you know, I, I think we covered some really good stuff and we're heading into April. Uh, here in Toronto, we've uh, just been hit with this fake lockdown for the third time. Impossible to say what's going to happen next. So hopefully the next time I talk to you guys, beginning of May, um, I won't be dead of COVID-19. And I hope the same of you as well. Thanks for listening once again. Uh, quick recap. We had... Floating Points, Pharaoh Sanders and the London Symphony Orchestra with Promises at number five. We had Armand Hammer with Haram at number four. We had Kralis with Daemonic Wealth at number three. Serpent with Feet, Deacon at number two. And my new favorite band name, Pupil Slicer with Mirrors at number one. That's it for this month. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.